Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Saturday morning Bible study. So glad you could all join us. We are recording today from the North Star Cottage out in the woods of New Jersey, better known as the Garden State, and we have the best peaches, corn, <laughs> tomatoes, and blueberries known to man. You're all welcome to come and visit us and try it out. So, no, 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 no. <laughs> Here we have a Georgia peach speaking. <laughs> anyway, we will begin this morning with our moderator, Tom from New York. Hello. So I'll start out with the quote from Science and Health. When we think of the pure, loving, unselfish life Mrs. Eddy must have lived in order to become conscious of this truth and give it to us, words are a poor medium through which to express the gratitude which her followers feel for her. It is best expressed by obediently following her even as she is following Christ. H.T. Omaha, Nebraska. This is from Fruitage in Science and Health, page 630. Thank you. Thank you. It's beautiful. Thank well, that's you. what the evil one would like to do, that we forget Mrs. Eddy and not have her uh, justly acknowledged for what she did. Even on page one of Science and Health, she says that future ages must declare what the pioneers accomplished. And we are the future ages, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also I think it's just so that it's not just words we're talking, but our living it is the experience that others see. I, I know that we've said it here before many times, that it's the example of the parents for for example, that the child sees. So it's we are living it. She lived it. That's why we can look to her and, and imitate uh, what she did and, and the early workers as well. So it's more living it than just the talking and reading and reading and reading. So. Well, it's a little like what Jesus instructed his disciples, right? If you love me. Mm-hmm. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. <clears throat> yeah. Actions speak much louder than words. And I, I think it's significant, again, the way Tom ties all of this together, because in working on these questions, it, it does. It points back to the life of Mrs. Eddy and how to exemplify it. And I can't emphasize enough the the Carpenter books, especially some of the new people that come and they read all kinds of things. The Carpenter books, especially Mary Baker Eddy, Her Spiritual Footsteps, they tell you how she lived this science. And everyone must have it in their library to study and work with. It's essential. And, and from a spiritual standpoint, they are the best biography of Mary Baker Eddy. Yes, they are indeed. Coming here and learning how to work for the church, uh, Mary Baker Eddy, Her Spiritual Precepts by Carpenter was very important to me. I'm very grateful for those books. Thank you, yes. And we were forbidden to by the organization to print those, but they're available. I think you can find them on Amazon and also Ann Beals. They're wonderful. Four volumes. Mary Baker Eddy, Her Spiritual Precepts. I might just also point out that The, the, there has to be a reason why the organization forbids us from printing and selling them. Um, one can only speculate as to what that reason is. 
but I would guess the reason is because it points out very clearly that the organization is not obediently following her. <laughs> and those books are uh, a rebuke to the organization that is not following Mrs. Eddy's uh, rule, not, not her rules, but God's yeah. rules that are written down in the manual that she left us. My thought is, why have a manual if you're not following it? <laughs> or if you're going to change right. it. Yes. Yeah, she didn't really, uh, initially, she didn't want to have a manual. She felt, well, you know, if, if, if people are going to practice Christian science, mm -hmm. they will do the right thing. But as time went on, she realized that people in the church not really practicing Christian science to the fullest, and that they needed a manual. And God provided the manual for her for that purpose. And when her directors implored her to, to make changes to the manual, she said no, that these were given to her by God, and she cannot deny change what God has given her, which is why the manual should be respected every bit as much as the, the textbook and every bit as much as the Bible, because they are all written through inspiration given by God to those who were inspired to write. And in the case of the manual and our textbook, the inspired one was Mary Baker Eddy. Nothing added or taken away, like uh, was recently mentioned at roundtables. Yeah, the warning in Revelation, right? Mm -hmm. Don't you dare <laughs> add to or take away from what God has given you. Well, this is why in the Plainfield Church we read the uh, manual that was published by Mary Baker Eddy and not the one published by the church. Correct, because that's the one and that gave us. And the same way with science and health, all the changes I think were extremely modest, but um, they made changes to our science and health. Uh, and I would say the average Christian scientist is not aware of this. That's right. And that's why we read from the 1910 edition, which is the edition before it was changed after her passing on. Which has a particularly beautiful conclusion, the testimony at the end, quite different from the one authorized, so to speak. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, thanks. It's a huge difference. Huge. And I sometimes wondered, you know, why when I discovered that, I wondered why. Why would they just switch those last two testimonies? And to me, um, it, it, the last one, the, the second of the last one, which is how it's supposed to be, if it ends, to, it ends with the, um, I have progressed a little way, so in the knowledge of God. And to me, it felt, well, then I need the church. I need the organization. I need, it felt more like a, a need for the organization, whereas the other one is so much, you know, I went from darkness into light. I mean, there, it's just, there's not even a, so that's, you know, trying to wrap my head around why would they do such a thing. That's what came to me anyway. You know, it's like I'm just progressing a little way, so I need the church to help me. And I don't know. That's what came to me. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. That's a good point. Excellent point. Because Mrs. Eddy knew the danger of human organization. That's why the estoppel clauses. 
Yeah. Most of it, the, the central organization would have dissolved without, if they had obeyed the estoppel clauses. Churches would have gone on and risen or fallen according to their merit. But, okay, we should move on, I think. Yes, on that note. Okay, so our topic is unity of church. And uh, one of the reasons I picked the quote that we just talked about was it uh, talks about the unselfish life of Mary Baker Reddy. And if we think of unity of church, it's a little hard to see how we're going to be unified if we're all very selfish. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> okay, so our Bible readings are the same as uh, last time. Um, Ephesians chapters 1 through 6, the entire epistle. Um, the reason for that I, um, you know, part of the reason I'm thinking of is that uh, we want to, you know, this is a Bible study, we want to understand the Bible, so now we're focusing this fall on the Ephesians um, to really understand that, and then we pick a couple questions to really delve into a specific topic, let's say, in the epistle to try and understand that. And um, just my little editorial here, but as, as we understand things in great detail and how things work and come together and so forth, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, unity of church, oh, that's so wonderful, wonderful, yeah, 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 of course we're going to be unity of church. But if you don't have a foundation, it's going to be like, uh, you know, uh, being on the foundation of sand. And we don't want to be in a foundation of quicksand, let's say. You know, we want a very strong foundation. So we dig into this and uh, really get into the meat of it and try and understand something that gives us a foundation of which we can't be blown over. That's wonderful. Thank okay. you very much. Got it. So, um, for last time, we had a, a couple questions here. Um, I think everybody had their say, but if there was anything that anybody wanted to uh, bring up that they didn't have the opportunity in the last one, on uh, our last Bible study, um, you know, on the unity of spirit and the bond of peace and what is our peace. <coughs> so let me know. Or speak up. Well, we covered it very well. And, and my recollection is that our, our peace is the peace of mind that comes from standing on the firm foundation that you just referred to rather than standing on quicksand and trying to make peace <laughs> with the errors of the world because there is no peace. Yeah, I found a few things if, if no one else wants to speak. First of all, just that one phrase, for he himself is our peace. Yeah. That is just so incredibly beautiful. I, it, it's just something to really treasure and think about. For he himself is our peace. And one commentary said that this is not mere doctrine. If you are having a conflict with anybody, this is the way of peace. Paul starts with a definition of what true peace really is. True peace is oneness. It is not merely the cessation of hostility, the absence of conflict. It means being one. Anything else is superficial and temporary and highly unsatisfactory. You know this to be true. You have made peace on superficial terms and have found it only external. If you merely agree not to fight, it is not peace. And invariably it results in a new outbreak with all the previous animosity surging to the surface once again. This is why what we call peace among nations never lasts, because it isn't really peace. It isn't oneness at all. It is only a weariness with warfare, an agreement to stop it for a while until we can all recuperate and rearm. Then it breaks out all over again because nothing is ever settled. But here the apostle tells us the secret of peace, 
the secret of oneness. It goes on, but we in Christian science know what that true oneness is, our oneness with God. Um, and that is the only thing that gives us peace. And when we have that, we will be at peace with ourselves, certainly with God, and with each other. And as Tom said, that is, that is the true foundation of church, demonstrating this oneness. And then um, Jeremy put this beautiful article, if, if you haven't seen it yet, it's on the hand, the carousel, Peace Within, by Author Unknown, I guess. Author Unknown. I, and I'll just read a little bit of that as well, because it's very healing. When the Christ dawns in individual consciousness, the personal sense of self just diminishes. This Christ becomes our real being. We have no desires, no will, no power of our own. The Christ overshadows our personal selfhood. In this Christ, we find rest, peace, comfort, and healing. The unlabored power of spiritual sense possesses us, and discords and inharmonies fade away as darkness disappears with the coming of light. Indeed, it is comparable only to the breaking of dawn and the gradual influx of divine light, colors the scenes in our mind, and dispels one by one the illusions of sense, the darker places in human thought. The stress of daily living would deprive us of this great spirit unless we are careful to retire often into the sanctuary of our inner being and there let the Christ be our honored guest. Never let vain conceit or a belief in personal power keep you from this sacred experience. Be willing, be receptive, be still. That affirms the acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Mm -hmm. The Judah. Yeah. It's so beautiful, that thought. I'm so grateful. This is why our Bible studies are so important. I mean, I never, I never thought about that small phrase for he himself is our peace. I mean, there's just so, it's so rich with Wonderful blessings. And then this was a little poem Carrie found. You can put it in the Liberator from an 1892 journal. At one with God, and can it be the infinite at one with me? One mind, one immortality, one spirit from eternity. I lose myself, and then I see that God is all there is to me. And that is always, and this is what is brought out in this Bible study questions. It's always getting rid of that personal sense and letting God use us. That's how we have the oneness in our church and the peace of mind within ourselves. Thank you for what you read about um, agreeing that light is not peace. Because it made me think of calling a truce, and then you're still acknowledging that that other side has power. You're just like, no, I just don't want to fight. <laughs> so, uh, like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You kind of just give up and say, oh, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It also acknowledges, yeah, yeah, I still want to have my own way, even though I'm not going to fight for now for it. <laughs> yeah, I'll just wait a while. I know for me, whenever I'm you know, in the heat of things, doing things and getting busy, and I need a quick shot of something to keep me on the right track, I frequently think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. God is guiding me, and I am not going to be wanting to have my own way with this. So you guide me, Father. Thank you. Yeah. I think is the only way we have peace, really, when... You know that God is the center and all rally around. There's no other power, as we read so many times in science and health. There's no other power. 
And with that, my hand in that hand, yeah, I can have peace. <laughs> Thank you. I'd like to share something from precepts, uh, partly what Gary was saying about um, what uh, Carpenter wrote and how helpful it was, and then it follows just what everybody was talking about. And I just wanted to get an example because it finally realized that Paul had all these letters, and then we're reading them, and really that's what this precepts is: is all the letters that Carpenter collected that Mrs. Eddy wrote to the churches. And this is just a really short, simple one, but it speaks to what we're talking about today. And it's Mrs. Eddy, and she's writing the Board of Directors, January 15, 1895. Quote, Beloved students, make broader your bounds for blessing the people. Have Friday evening meetings to benefit the people. Learn to forget what you should not remember, namely self, and live for the good you do. Conduct your meetings by repeating and demonstrating practical Christian science. Tell what this science does for yourself and will do for others. Speak from experience of its founder, noting her self-sacrifice as the way in Christian science. Be meek. Let your motto for this meeting be, Who shall be least and servant? And little children love one another. Affectionately yours, Mary Baker Eddy. Beautiful, thank you. And what a what a wonderful thought that these precepts are Mrs. Eddy's letters to the churches. Now, the real reason why they said we couldn't publish it is because those books is because the organization claims they have sole right to her letters. Yeah. And you have to do something in order to go someplace in order to see them. But otherwise, you know, and you have to have special permission, is my understanding. Yes. So, so what a crime against humanity. And if we have any so-called Boston scientists who object to that, well, <laughs> I don't care. Because it is a crime to humanity. They were going to sue us over this. And thank God there are too many fires now. That other people are publishing it, and it is out. It is, it is in many ways for the advanced student, these precepts and footsteps. I sometimes wonder if you weren't advanced in the science, you probably wouldn't even be interested in them because they're deeper lessons. But to many, many, they are invaluable. And uh, I love that. Precepts, letters to the churches. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, thank you. Because this particular letter is the letter that started the testimony meetings. Oh, yeah. It is. And they were originally started on Friday night. And then later she changed them to Wednesday night. But this, this is the invaluable instruction that she, she, she was inspired by God. To have testimony meetings. In the middle of the week, right? In the middle of the week. We used to call it the oasis, right? The oasis in the middle of the week. Praise God Wednesday. Yeah, praise God Wednesday. We still quote her. I was just going to say, you know, this is supposedly for advanced students of Christian science, and they wanted to keep it out of the public. What are they saying? Nobody's going to advance in Christian science? <laughs> yeah. But the then... <laughs> that he, he didn't have. She gave it to the world. It was for the world. Thank exactly. you. Yes, she did. And as Lawrence and I were talking the other day, and Lawrence said, well, even if they take everything away from us, we will still have the Bible and science and health, and it's all in there. Yeah. It's all in there. <laughs> And, and to all of you, I urge you download, you buy these books, you circulate these books, you get them out. We make hay when the sun shines. All of you out there, you're very important to this cause and this mission to get this stuff. That's why we offer it freely. We have someone from the Congo now, right, Florence? Yes. Yeah, he was able to get the 500 watches and uh, oneness, yes. He's so happy. He's so, so happy. Yes. To be able to do those. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he just asked for watches, prayers, and arguments. 
sent it this morning. Sent, Jeremy sent it this morning. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, we get it, and this is why it's free. We thank you for your donations. We get it out, and we know God governs where it goes and how it blesses, and it does. Tell about how many people have listened to one this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I looked. The audio of oneness on YouTube has 92,000 views. Mm -hmm. And that and will... Go ahead. No, it's on another website, the same one. <laughs> oh, well, and it, it travels and travels. And now um, Florence doing prose works, second part of it. Um, and getting that out, and it travels and travels and travels. Listen, read. I can't tell you what it'll do for your understanding. Um, it can, this truth cannot be stopped or restrained. Cannot. It'll do for your understanding what Tom said, get you off the quicksand. Yeah. Yep, and get you out of your selfish complacency. He also said, which was a great, great, great thing. Okay, Tom. All right, good. Excellent. So um, uh, let's see, part two questions. Okay, so uh, the first question here is, what is the gift of God? You know, in on page one hundred eight, there's there's the gift of God. I mean, I I was thinking about that. And I thought, gosh, I I look around me, everything I see around me is God's gift to me. So, <laughs> you know, every everything everything is from God. So it's God's gift. But uh, thinking more deeply about it, um, and reading the commentaries, you know, salvation by grace, faith, um, it is not our merit, but it is holy, you know, God's love. God's love, is, is, Mrs. Eddie says, that's what the gift is. But on page 108, in Science and Health, she says, whence came to me this heavenly conviction, a conviction antagonistic to the testimony of the physical senses. According to St. Paul, it was the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. It was the divine law of life and love unfolding to me the demonstrable fact that matter possesses neither sensation nor life. And then it goes on a little bit further. But And then she refers to, like I said, the gift of love. God's love is a gift. <laughs> he says, um, oh, here, excuse me. Um, uh, the gift of Christian science through the, recept through the redemptive Christ truth we are healed and saved and not of ourselves it is the gift of God Christian science is a divine largest a gift of God um, a Christian science is definitely a gift Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. That was beautiful. That in the Bible. Thank God for his unspeakable gift, right? Mm -hmm. We've all yeah. thought about that. Yeah. And just so that there's no uh, sense of personal sense, it's not of ourselves. Because <laughs> with all the wonders that are around us, and they are, thank you for saying that everything around us is a gift of God. And thank God that we have eyes to see it, and it is here. But it's nothing to get arrogant about. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Thank you. I think that is a very key to this statement. It is it not to get arrogant. He's saying you can't do it. You you think you can do all these good deeds, everything you're doing, and then you'll be saved, or then you'll have grace. It has nothing to do with that. This was such a big revelation for me one at one time because I thought by running around and doing all this good and I was good and then God would love me and other people would love me and it was all me, 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 right? Me, me, me. 
and I fell flat on my face time and time again till I understood this is a principle. It has nothing to do with us or our good works. Does the man who's committed crime in a prison have this grace? Yes. Yes, he does. It's, it's for everyone everywhere. It is so ama amazing grace. It's amazing grace. And this we must get on our knees because it's so easy to get arrogant about this and think because I've done this, that, and the next thing, I'm some fancy critter. Well, <laughs> we're not fancy critters. <laughs> and, and I will admit, I will admit humbly that yes, Georgia has some good peaches. It's not, it's not just in your, it's not just in your, you know. Point taken. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> I got a little carried away. <laughs> well, anyway, we forgive so. you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and that's why humility is so important. It's essential, yes. Fairly can quote that quote. Is she there? You can't do it without humility. Humility is a stepping stone to a higher recognition of deity. The mounting sense gets fresh forms and strange fire from the ashes of dissolving self and drops the world. Beautiful. Thank you. It's a good one to know by heart. Thank you, Fairly. And Mrs. Eddy says, humility is lens and prism, which means you can't really see things clearly without it. This, uh, this uh, discussion leads me to question, you know, the, the word gift here. Um, we, the, the love of God, his grace, his mercy is is it is it true is it a gift is it like a gift in the human sense of giving gifts for birthdays and christmas and <laughs> stuff like mm. that no not really no. It, no. because it's really a law a law that governs everything in the universe isn't it mm -hmm. so it's it's it, it's more than it, it it's more than a gift i mean a gift is a great word maybe someone to use to describe it gift because because it feels like a gift when we're suffering and we and we feel god's love it feels like a gift but it's much more than a hu the human sense of gift, because it's it, it it is God's law, which is all there is. There is no other, as Florence said earlier. There is no other power anyway. So, which is why it lifts us out of all of these false beliefs it lifts us out of every misery we could ever possibly experience freely given freely we have received freely given in one of the commentaries he says this chapter 2 in Ephesians begins by contrasting the believers' current position in Christ with their condition outside of Christ, and they have been dead in their sins. In Christ, they have been reconciled to God, and then the Jewish and Gentile believers have been reconciled to each other. That was all the beautiful, what we talked about last week, all together, the unity. And, and do always remember, because it's good for me to remember, what it had been like before I found this church and this science and Mrs. Evans and the true understanding. I was, I was in bad shape. I was dead in my sins. It was only this that awoke, the true sense of woke, awoke me to this um, wonderful, living, palpitating science that makes our God real. 
And um, and God, it says, God has not chosen to save sinners, not based on their goodness, but on his kindness and love. So this idea of being humanly good, this is why this debunks it time and time again, when you dig deeply into it. Because, again, I tried so hard to be humanly good, thinking that that would please God and please everybody else. It was a false sense. It was all personal sense, which is a selfhood apart from God. When you get in that selfhood, you are subject to all kinds of problems because you're in the wrong mind. But you see, the world deems human goodness as good. So it can be confusing till you learn this better sense of good with a capital G. I think this is also why Mrs. Eddy has a whole chapter on prayer. Because there are so many people who feel that God bestows these gifts only when we implore him. Only when we somehow deserve them. And that some people might deserve them more than others. And it's kind of a mystery as to what makes it, enables you to deserve God's gifts. Well, Mrs. Eddy debunks that. God does not bestow his gifts just because you implore him or don't implore him. He's not capricious either. He's not capricious. I, I looked up gifts in the 1828. And it says a bunch of things, but one thing I think is good for this is some quality or endowment conferred by the author of our nature. Beautiful, thank you, yes. It just is, and, and it's available to all. Why? Because God is love with a capital L. He loves us all impartially, unconditionally. He doesn't even know the sins, as we find out when you study unity of good. Right, Florence? <laughs> oh, doesn't yeah. know no, he just, he's just love. He pours it out. And that's why the worst sinner in the world is, can be just as receptive, probably more receptive than those who think they're humanly good, as we see in the case of the Pharisees. So that's why we don't judge or we just keep our mouth shut and let God's love shine out. I'd, I'd like to read now. Hi there. <laughs> Hello, whoever you are. Ron and Linda. Oh, okay. The, 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 the vote of approval. Yeah, the, yeah, yes, yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Thumbs up. Yay, thumbs up. <laughs> Always appreciate a thumbs up. Thank you. Um, the bark of approval. Yeah, the bark of approval. <laughs> well, dog animals are very receptive. Of course they are. So this, this is a beautiful story from Precepts, too, about Mrs. Eddy, and, and it deals with this topic. As evidence of her alertness, which obviously transcended the narrow limitations of the material senses, we have her experience when her house at Pleasant View was being painted, as told by her gardener, John Salchow. The painter was Mr. Frost, who was very skilled in matching colors. In those days, this was a necessary attainment since paint of uniform color in cans was unknown. Each batch of paint had to be mixed separately and matched as the work progressed. On the day in question, Mrs. Eddy returned from her drive after the house had been painted and work had been done, begun on the barn. She hardly glanced at the barn as her carriage drove by, yet her first words to August Mann were, Tell Mr. Frost to be more careful about matching his color. When Mr. Mann gave him Mrs. Eddy's message, he drew himself up as one of those whose skill has been challenged, as much as to say, who dares to suggest that I could possibly make a mistake in that direction? But Mr. Mann said, remember, Mrs. Eddy said this, and you know how she is. <laughs> At once, Mr. Frost became deflated, as it were, and went and got his matching board on which a sample of each mixing had been painted and compared it with the color he was putting on the barn. At once, he said, by God, it is darker. Perhaps Mrs. Eddy's 
perceptive sense, which operated in ways that mystified mortal mind, probed Mr. Frost's thought and detected pride of attainment. A man with the highest confidence in his own skill, just as she was able to read John Chow, just by seeing him working in her flower garden. She said to Mr. Mann, who is that working in my garden? Mr. Mann said, that is the new man you asked me to get for you. She said, I admire his unspoilable, unspoilable integrity. The future proved that her judgment of him was correct. Later, when St. Paul's school attempted to hire him away from her by offering him all kinds of inducements, such as a thousand dollars in cash, a house to live in, a cow and wages three times she was paying him, he refused to leave her. Mrs. Eddy knew nothing of this offer, and yet very shortly she wrote him, offering him a thousand dollars, a cow, and a house to live in. Hmm. An attitude of supreme self-confidence is dangerous. The Bible tells us that no man should think of himself more highly than he ought. Students have the highest appreciation of their ability with God and the lowest estimate of their ability without him. The man who is inflated because of his faith in his own human mind should be deflated, and he will be. On the other hand, the one with what is called an inferiority complex should realize that with God all things are possible, that he reflects the power of God and so has an infinite capacity to accomplish all things, to make all corrections, and to eliminate all that is unlike good. In short, to give the whole universe back to God where it belongs. It, it goes on, but this, these are the examples of our leader and how we need to follow them, as, as was brought out in the initial readings from Fruitage by Tom and her deep understanding of the science and the great, huge importance of humility, which to me is the crux of this statement, not by our own works, by our own pride, but by only by God is anything of any worth ever accomplished. And that's the importance of these wonderful books. That's why we are so grateful to Carpenter. He spent one year in Mrs. Eddy's house. One year. And when he, when he went, he finished his term and went home, Mrs. Eddy told him that she would miss him very much. And, and what was it? Because he never, no, that was Kingman Fry. Yeah, what never committed it? one moral offense. Yes, thank yes. you. He never committed one moral offense. And yet, if you read the Peel books, he digs, digs at him and makes him seem that he is not what he truly is. Um, which shows where Robert Peel's head is. It, well, yes, it does, which yeah. is why we don't read those biographies. So they're human. They're human. Human descriptions. So. Which is why they're faulty. Yeah. Well, that was what I had to say, so now others, please. <laughs> well, I think that's just absolutely wonderful. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about the gift of God, I was thinking how it's uh, such a unifying aspect to that. You know, so if you think about this, such a wonderful story about the colors not matching, right, and how, the, uh, how you reacted. Um, so, you know, our topic is unity of church. So if we think about this, the gift of God, as others have said, is freely given. And uh, they also talk about, you know, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. So it doesn't matter what your background is, what you've done, what you've thought. You know, the gift of God is freely given to you. So if uh, we're uh, doing our church work or whatever and somehow someone annoys us or seems like someone got credit for something that we did or, you know, those little things just seem to crop up day by day. 
and then uh, we sort of feel a little sort of um, ill thought, you might say, in some sense, right? Toward towards someone, and then then step back and think about this gift of God that's freely given. So that person that you're annoyed with, God is freely giving him everything he needs. He loves him. So how is it God's loving this person, and you're not feeling that way towards that person? Thank you. That's beautiful, Tom. And that is, I mean, that is such a bugger. I, I know I, thinking, you know, someone else is getting credit for something you, you've done is, a, is sometimes difficult. But, um, but it all comes from God. That's what I tell myself. It all comes from God. So what difference does it make who gets the credit? God gets the credit, right? I, I know Mr. Evans, in, in our church in the years past, there were so many testimonies about Mrs. Evans. And Mr. Evans was just such a humble man. And I remember he once said, I don't care if I never get any credit. It doesn't matter to me. What matters is, is God gets the credit. That's always been very helpful. I do try to give credit where credit is due, but sometimes, you know, you can miss something or... Um, Anyway, thank you for that. Yeah, actually, it sounds like you're introducing the second question. Uh, How did you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question number two. Bruce, Uh, Bruce, go ahead. Okay, this thing about somebody doing something and somebody else gets the credit. But the one thing that the person who did it got was the strengthening of character from having gone through the experience. And that is something that is within the heart. And that's something to thank God for. So if you got nothing else, you got that. That's right. And the demonstrator, and the demonstrator can't be separated. Mm-hmm. Thank you, yes. And eventually, usually God writes a situation. And, you yes, know, he, right. he writes a situation. And so, also, you, you get asked, which is more valuable? An unacknowledged publicly re- reformation of character or strengthening of character or the praise of men? Which would you rather have? Thank you. And what's your purpose? You know, why are we here? <laughs> to me, that's what my focus is always. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you're breaking up. Oh. I couldn't hear that. Sorry, I said, you know, for me, my the focus is, why am I here? Why was I brought here? To do what? Or who? Yes. Yeah. Now, and, and, of course, we're not talking about plagiarism here. That's something else. But um, anyway, there was another quote that I thought was very helpful, too. It said that good works are not the cause of salvation. What we're talking about, doing all this good stuff makes you saved. But the reason for it, so you get saved when you were tested to see if you're humble enough as Mr. Frost had to be tested. And then, then the reason for it is to do these good works because then you're qualified to do the good works because as Christ Jesus said, I and my Father are one. The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work. And the Father hath not left me alone. He passed all the tests and he did not think he was some lofty critter. I said, some fancy critter. He knew he was his humbleness before the Father. Then the good works can be done through you because you've gotten rid of this false sense of pride and that you're so great. Only one is great, God good. Well, Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Wow, that's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> that is wonderful. Very true. That's pretty clear. That's very clear. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> okay, so um, question number two. What does it mean to be a servant of God? 
Now, I did put down here some definitions on some uh, Greek words, and uh, because servant seems to be uh, translated differently in Greek, so it's two different words, diaconus and doulos. And then I put in Webster's uh, definition of servant. Um, but anyway, feel free to answer it however you wish. Um, but I did that to kind of help in the uh, sort of understanding and discussion. So what does it mean to be a servant of God? Well, first, well, it means to serve means to obey. So to be a servant of God is to obey God, to do his will. Um, you know, talk about getting yourself out of the way. Not my will, but thine be done is what the servant of God or minister of God is pretty much the same thing is to serve him. And, um, and um, how am I, every day we're taught here to start the day with, how can I serve you today, Father? How can I, how can I bless? And that's how we're supposed to start every day. So, and that's, uh, rather than a slave, which is not voluntary, a servant is voluntary. We're supposed to be voluntarily wanting and desiring to serve God. Thank you. Matthew Henry says, a study of the Lord Jesus Christ will make men faithful and sincere station of life. What they do, they must do cheerfully, doing the will of God from the heart. Masters as God wills, they should, not grudgingly, nor by constraint but from a principle to them and their concerns. This is doing it with goodwill and acceptable to the Lord. Thank you. I love what it said. It's properly one who waits, stops, holds, and attends as a volunteer, like somebody said, to God. I think the other, other thing is the heart. We do it voluntarily for God and man. Thank you. Thinking of waiting on God, I remembered before, and occasionally now actually, I will feel like I'm I'm waiting, waiting for an answer on something. And then after a while I'll worry, you know, am I just <laughs> am I am I just wasting time? But then the answer comes and then you know, oh, that's what I was waiting for. And I love that. <laughs> so I think of how you know, when I first started here, that wasn't that was a very interesting thing to be expected to do and to learn how to do. Which is why I'm grateful to Carpenter and practitioner support. But I can only imagine, you know, the Boston Church, if they thought they had to dissolve and go into this unknown future and wait for inspiration, how scary that must have been if they didn't know they could trust it. So. Thank you. That's very good. Because the human mind can't trust it. That's why the human mind has to be put off. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, all of this... <laughs> being the servant, what is described here, to be a servant of God is to be who and what you really are. To be what God made, right? To, to be his image and likeness? To, to deal with your fellow man the way God deals with them? To have the love of God in your heart, always. As Mrs. Eddy says, love for God and man is the true incentive in both healing and teaching. Well, it's a true incentive in everything you do. <laughs> um, something that came to mind was when Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
So that's one way of showing God that you love him. Mm-hmm. But it does require a knowledge of God's law, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, and that's why the, the study is important, so you know what we are to do. So you know the Sermon on the Mount. You know the commandments, the Ten Commandments. You know what's required. And then you can tell the counterfeit when you're told by error that you're supposed to do other things. Um, you're, you're safe. And that, that's why it's so important to teach this to the children. That's why this beautiful lesson this week so important. Yeah. Teach it to our children because, boy, are they not getting it in school. They're getting the opposite. Well, I, I have a few more things to read from Precepts and Footsteps, but I want to make sure everyone else is given what, what they want to give. <laughs> okay. Well, this, this goes to what, this is Footsteps, it goes to what Gary was speaking about. All the years of demonstration could not make Mary spiritual, Mary Baker Eddy. Truth is not a development, but a reflection. If one should reflect truth for 20 years and then stop, what he would voice at that point would be animal magnetism, just as much as though he had never reflected truth before. I think that's really interesting. It's, it's not, it's reflection. Again, it is God, God working and shining through you. And then... Mrs. Eddy's own concept of her experience in reflecting the divine law is clearly summed up by her as follows. This is a quote. God has worked through one in this age because he could. The light will come through the window because it, it will let it, while the wall will not. It would shine through the wall if it could. God is no respecter of persons. Then would you say the wall can let in the light the same as the window? No. Then does one person let in as much light as another? No. Can the one who lets in the light see what is best for the others better than the one who does not? Yes. How do you know I am a window pane for the light to shine through? By the works. End quote. And another quote from Mrs. Eddy. The sick are healed in all appearance, and the gospel is taught by mortal mind. But the fact remains that only the immortal mind can heal the sick or save the sinner. Divine love knows that love is light, even that light which is the life of man. Divine love knows his window and knows that it gives light, not darkness and is the means of love's entrance into the hearts of men. The wonder is that aught can make God's window seem to be what it is not. It was the doubt and ignorance of what Jesus was and did for all mankind that shut out and still shuts out the light of love. What if the window does offend the senses with the objects it reveals and the path it points out? It is love's window and love's revelation to mankind. The good gaze at last with gratitude and joy on what they had not seen, but now see through the window that disturbed the senses, but pointed the way in science. That's Mrs. Eddy's example of of living this science. And I think I love it because what was read there, because it says, because there's all this question about the chosen, right? Who's chosen, who isn't, this and that. It's all a matter of who lets the light shine. You see, no one is special. The light is shining on all of us. But if you have that wall blocked, the light can't come through you. The light doesn't choose the window. The light does not choose the window. (laughs) The light shines on all. I, I'm so happy about that because, you know, I sometimes get that question or you talk about the chosen people and it's just a matter of whether you let the light shine, God's light shine. 
And, and Mrs. Eddy did, Christ Jesus did, and many others did, those two in particular, however. There are many others. But and you feel you're special for doing it. You're darkening up your windows. Well, it's, yeah, it's suddenly, yeah, exactly. You're not special. And then one other, which shows Mrs. Eddy's example, what she did with this gift that God gave us and how she was a servant. Because you see, this is how she was a servant. She let the light shine through her, right? That's how we become servants, by letting that light shine through us. And it says too, she constantly heard the cry of the poor, the sick, the unhappy, the sinner. And out of the wealth and overflow of her demonstration, she ceaselessly fed them as Joseph when he was the custodian of the grain, which he had gathered during the seven years of plenty in Egypt, fed the nations who were starving during the seven years of famine. This was the reason for Mrs. Eddy's growth. Students today do not grow faster because out of their abundance of spiritual good, they do not realize that much of what they have been given them was for the purpose of sharing and not withholding. Lack of giving Telify growth. Well, and it goes on there too, but it, it's that idea of what she did with the gift. What she did. Her humility let her know it was only through reflection that she did it, only through her window pane. She had to keep it clean every day as, as we all do. And then in doing that, she could actually hear the cries of help. That beautiful quote, on the forum last week from forum, um, excuse me, from Bob on the forum, about she had to stop dealing with the organization because she heard the cries of help from all over the world, right? Yes. It, it's all so beautiful, and it's all so beautifully stated, and this is the real science. And God forbid anyone prevents us from having these wonderful articles and books God forbid, God forbid, and God does forbid it. And this has been such a wonderful class. As I say, Tom always has a method to his madness. I look at these questions and say, oh my gosh, servant, give to God. What, are we, what in the world will we talk about? And now we can't stop talking. <laughs> yeah, I can't. But I will. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, ding, ding, ding. So anybody else, Tom, what do you want to say? Oh, I want to point out the first definition I, I mentioned on minister. So I thought it was really cool when it talked about uh, it properly means to kick up dust. So um, it really talks about a minister or a servant who is very active in doing things. And so I kind of like that concept. You know, we're not just uh, someone who shows up at church or whatever rights, but we're, we're actively involved in doing things. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Doing the right things, though. Doing the right for God. Right. The right things. And I think Mrs. Eddy summarized what it means to be a servant of God in her manual, in the Article 8, Section 1, A Rule for Motives and Acts, which is why we have it in our full-text lesson sermon quarterly. In science, divine love alone governs man, and a Christian scientist reflects the sweet amenities of love. In rebuking sin, in true brotherliness, charitableness, and forgiveness, the members of this church should daily watch <clears throat> and pray to be delivered from all evil, from prophesying, judging, condemning, counseling, influencing, or being influenced erroneously. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you. Um, I'd like to add one sort of editorial, if I may. hope you don't mind this, but I don't want anybody to be listening to this and come away with some thought that, oh, we have this topic because there's disunity. And so something needs to be fixed. And that's not it. I don't think anything needs to be fixed. But if we learn more about 
the unity of church, we just become stronger and we do more. And we'll bring more members. Just be a better church. Well, well said. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Because we will see God's creation more clearly. Because what he created is perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much, Thank Tom. You. Thank, you. Thank you. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. All right. Bye. Thank, Thank you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs>